Good morning. Uh, my name is Robbie. Maybe you haven't met me before, and now you're like, I really don't like that guy. But I am uh, one of the pastors here at Hillside. Welcome to you. Thanks for being here with us this morning. I know that you probably heard it in our beginning announcements, but we have a barbecue this afternoon after our second service. I'm sort of looking around and thinking, man, I really hope you come back because uh, we've got a lot of food and it will be fun. So right at noon, we're going to have food um, for everyone. And the goal of that really is just relationship. I uh, really would like for us to be more than just a community that meets on Sunday mornings and uh, drinks coffee and then like doesn't interact with each other. And so the opportunity here this morning or this afternoon will be for us just to be in relationship, get to know people that maybe you haven't before and let the church be the church. Um, This morning we will be going to Psalm chapter 1, and while you're turning there in your Bibles, uh, I wanted to celebrate with you all stuff that's happening at Hillside. And something that is cause for great celebration is that last week we opened our sign-ups for our community groups, and we actually had a hundred adults sign up for community groups last Sunday. And so, yeah, that's a really, you can clap, yeah, I didn't do it, that's, um, that's a really big deal. That's a really big deal. And um, it, for me, it's amazing to be a part of a church that obviously wants to grow in biblical community, but it isn't just community groups. I just wanted to um, give you guys just a quick overview of all the things that are happening throughout the church. We're starting up again here soon, um, multiple Bible studies that are happening. Uh, BSF is happening on Tuesday evenings. Um, We have Wednesday nights is starting in a couple of weeks, and that's for the kids. We have youth ministry that's starting tonight at 6 o'clock for ages 6th grade through 12th grade. Um, Additionally, we have our Sunday morning programs that include adult discipleship um, programs, where those will begin on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on the 11th. And then I just wanted you guys all to be aware of all of that because I want us to know that God is moving at Hillside, that it's a really cool thing, that it isn't really any, has, doesn't really have anything to do with me or Dan or anybody who does all of these programs, but just I want us to see that God is doing something here, and it's exciting. Um, today, we're moving into Psalm chapter 1, and we're, it's really, you're probably wondering, why are you going all the way back to the beginning? And the, the, I maybe have been asking that question of Psalms. I've maybe been asking that question all week because it wasn't my original intent, but I just felt like it was the right place to go as we are entering into the fall season. I know that our, summer, our series is called Songs of Summer, and it feels like summer is over, but We're finishing this series actually next week, and then we'll start a new one on the 11th in the Lord's Prayer. But last week, we talked about our perspective in life, and then we talked about the value of biblical community when we want to have an eternal perspective, that really the what we're looking at or where we're standing determines what we see. And this week, I want to continue in the practical line and talk about the value of God's Word. But really, if we're going to gain biblical perspective, God's word has to matter. But before we go there, I need us to understand two things as we get really practical. And the first one is this. Salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Salvation comes by faith alone, through grace alone, in Jesus Christ alone. 
And salvation is not a work that you or I can accomplish. And so when we talk about joining a community group or reading your Bible, I need us to understand that that is not how you have a relationship with God. It it helps our relationship with God, but we are saved. We enter into relationship with God by grace through faith. When we get practical, we, we can start to feel like we're being piled up on and like we need to do a list of things in order for God to love us. Um, I've said this quote before, but Jonathan Ed- Edwards once said, the only thing that you contribute to your salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. The only thing that you can contribute to your salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. And so when we read through the Psalms and we're encouraged to walk righteously, we're not ever saying that any of our works result in salvation. But, and this is a big, well, I shouldn't say a big but. That, uh, but, the second thing that we, we should be aware of is this, and, and this is really important, is that God's instructions are for our benefit. We're saved by grace through faith, but when He gives us instructions, they're for our benefit. And I know I said this last week, but God is not in the habit of shortchanging us. And so when we read texts like Psalm 73 that we read last week or Psalm 1 where we're going to be today, there's this possibility that you might feel like you're moving from grace to legalism. But that's just not true. Something that we have to know is that when God gives instructions for our benefit, He also provides the means for us to follow them. And so Psalm 1 is not an instruction booklet that's legalistic. It's actually a text that is full of grace. By God's grace, He calls us into deeper fellowship with Him. By God's grace, He changes us when we are in relationship with Him through Jesus. Salvation happens by grace through faith and walking in His ways or our obedience to Him is also something that we're called to by God's grace and because of His goodness. So it can be both. It can be both. When we talk about legalism, what we're actually talking about is your works save you. Your works do not save you, but when God calls you into obedience, it's actually good. So today I want to talk about how, by God's grace, we can gain some wisdom from Psalm chapter 1. And how God's instructions actually bring life to us. So let's look first at Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. It starts by saying this, Blessed is the man. I just want to stop there to start. Blessed is the man. A normal question for you and I to ask would be this, How can I be truly blessed? Right? It's not abnormal for us to ask a question like that. We all ask it. I would answer the question after yesterday, I just want Nebraska to win one football game this year. That would be such a blessing to me, because it makes Sundays hard. Um, But seriously, (laughs) everyone wants a good life, right? Everyone wants to be blessed, and what is interesting is that the Bible isn't a book that says you can't be happy. The Bible doesn't say that. Will we have trouble in our lives? Yes, everybody does. Is this world sinful? Yes, it is. We will experience trouble. Biblical happiness, though, and worldly trouble are not mutually exclusive things. 
The Bible would call it joy and peace in all circumstances. The Bible actually encourages you and I to look for true and lasting happiness. It just may not look like what you think it looks like. And so the very first words of this psalm, they pull us in, Psalm 1-1, with the possibility of having a blessed life. It's what we want. Psalm 1 starts by saying, blessed is man. And the, and the word blessed is the Hebrew word, and it actually means plural. Or sorry, it is a Hebrew word, word that means plural. It is plural. Meaning multiple blessings or an intensification of blessings. So notice that blessing isn't just like one kind of blessing. The writer is saying a person that is blessed has multiplied blessings. The other thing that he says that I want us to notice is that the psalm does not say blessed is the king or blessed is the scholar or blessed is the rich person. The psalm doesn't tell us that blessings go with stuff. It actually says blessed is the man. And so I want us to see that this blessing is for the ordinary person as much as it is for the extraordinary person. This blessing is attainable for the poor or the forgotten or the obscure as, as much as it is for the popular and the skilled. And you have to see that because that is really good news right off the bat. The word blessed literally means supremely happy or fulfilled or a deep sense of well-being. That sounds really good, doesn't it? I'm interested in that. And so Psalm 1 begins then by pulling us in with this ingredients to fulfillment and a deep sense of well-being. It says, blessed is the man, and we are all like, okay, tell me more. And then the psalmist starts for us with three things that the blessed person does not do. Blessed is the man who does not. Look at Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The psalmist says a righteous person is a blessed person. And that blessed person knows when to say no. Hear this as clearly as you can right here at the outset. Wisdom is as much about when we say no to something as it is knowing when to say yes to something. Wisdom is as much about when we say no to something as it is about knowing when to say yes to something. And so the psalmist helps us understand blessedness by laying out three negatives in a descending order. These are things that a blessed person says no to. He says, blessed is the person who doesn't walk with the wicked. Okay, what does that mean? Well, very practically, the psalmist is saying, don't follow the advice of a person who doesn't care about the things of God. Why? Here's why. Because the people that we follow will inevitably shape our conduct. It's difficult to avoid imitating and becoming like the people that we walk with daily. For you and I, following the advice of the wicked always starts with a simple association with people who just don't care about what God's Word says. And the psalmist says the blessed person doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, and then he says the blessed person doesn't stand in the path or the way of sinners. Well, what does that mean? Well, this conveys the idea of staying a while. So you're walking at one point and then you're standing you're stopping to look and listen and hanging around or hanging out with. The counsel of the wicked is about a view of life. Walking in the counsel of the wicked is about a view of life. 
The way of sinners is about actual lifestyle. So the first statement is about principles, and then the second statement is about the practices that stem from those principles. So the psalmist is saying, Blessed is the man who does not receive counsel from the wicked, because when you receive counsel from the wicked, your next step is probably to imitate the life of the wicked person. Now, before we move on, and maybe some of you are asking this question, I think that we need to clarify that you might actually think then to live a Christian life and be blessed, then you should never be around non-Christian people. You might take that and think that. And I want you to hear this clearly. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your objective is not to never be around a person who doesn't believe in Jesus. I want, this may be news for you, but you also are a sinner saved by grace, right? You're a sinner, but you've been saved by grace. You are no better than anyone else. You have just experienced the grace of God in Christ. But mine and your objective as believers is to associate with the world as sinners who have been saved by grace. And so, our goal is to seek to bring people to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus himself hung out with sinners, right? But I think an important truth for us to understand is this. The sinners that Jesus hung out with, they changed when they hung out with Jesus. He did not change in order to be like them. He was famous, actually, for saying to people that he was around, go and sin no more, right? So in Jesus' love, he called people out of sin. And so I'm not telling you don't ever be around a non-believer, but I am saying that you shouldn't change, they should change. The last phrase then from Psalm 1-1 says, Blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of scoffers. And so we have blessed is the man who doesn't walk with the, counsel, or with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, and now it is or sit with scoffers. What's a scoffer? Well, a scoffer is someone who has rejected God and His Word. They seek to justify themselves by openly ridiculing that which they've rejected. They're just too smart for the Bible. Maybe you've heard somebody say that before. And invariably, scoffers cast off God because they really just want to be their own God. And so the seat of scoffers refers to the assembly or the place where the scoffers gather to reinforce their godless philosophy. Those who scoff at God love to get together to reinforce their prejudices. To sit in their seat means to belong to the crowd of scoffers, to join in with their conversation and to agree with them. Before we leave Psalm chapter 1, I think that it's really important for us now to note the downward progression in the life of sin. Satan does not cause you or me or any other person to fall away or to reject their faith all at one time. It's a slow fade to borrow from casting crowns if you're like, you know, 40 years old like I am. It's a slow fade. There are degrees of departure from God. And they're implied here in three words in verse 1. First, you're walking, and then you're standing, and then you're sitting. Do you see that? You walk, you're still moving, but you're now going in the wrong direction. And then you stand, and you are lingering in sin. And finally, you sit, and you are at ease in the company of scoffers. 
It, it, it begins with association, and then it moves to identification, and then it moves to fixation. You go from the habits in your life to the people that you listen to to the company that you keep. And there are really two great lessons right away in verse 1. And, and before I share them, I feel like I need to say this. As older adults, myself included, we often think that this passage and these kinds of biblical lessons are really good for kids, right? Hey, be careful who you hang out with. That's really good for kids or young people. But I want to say this this morning to all of us, that God, this is God's inspired word, and it is not elementary. These truths are true for all of us. It may sound simple, but it is profound truth from God's word. And here are the two truths from Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, right away. The first one is this, guard your mind. You have to guard your mind. If you want to follow Christ, he's calling us into a blessed life. You've got to guard your mind. Satan begins with your mind. It is his trick. He did it in the very first chapter of the Bible with Eve. He said, did God really say to you? All advice is not good advice. Wrong thoughts lead to wrong behavior, which leads to the rejection of God and his truth. Guarding our mind doesn't mean that we become a non-thinker. I'm not telling you to not think. It means that you critique everything by the unchanging standard of God's Word. Psalm chapter 119, verse 24 says, Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselor. God's Word is always the best counselor. You have to guard your mind. The second lesson from verse 1 is this. Guard your friends. Guard your friends. The people that you choose as close friends should be committed to the things of God. If you want to follow God in righteousness, if it equals a blessed life, then you have to guard who your friends are. Your friends will influence you. I heard it one time, and I don't know who to attribute it to, but 10 years from now, the person you are 10 years from now will be greatly influenced by the books that you read and the friends that you have. It's just true. As we leave verse 1, I also want to say one more thing. We need to see this. God's prohibitions are not punishment, but divine protection. God's prohibitions are not punishment, they're divine protection. Adam and Eve were given great liberty in the Garden of Eden, but they were forbidden to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We can read the story. We know why God forbid them to eat from that tree. Walking in the way of the righteous necessitates forsaking the way of the wicked. And while the essence of our faith is not negative, some of, it is, some of its expressions are. And they are for our blessing. Praise God for what He prohibits in our lives as well as for what He provides. The prohibitions or the negative is not enough by itself, though, for us to produce happiness. And so the psalmist continues in verses 2 and 3 to show us that the blessed person not only doesn't do certain things, but he also builds his life on God and his word. Look at verses 2 and 3. They say this, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its seasons, and its leaf does not wither in all that he does, he prospers. And so the psalmist moves from negative examples now to this positive case for righteousness. 
this positive case for a blessed and God-honoring life. And so in verses 2 and 3, what we see is both the plan for how to live a blessed life and then also the promise for the person who follows that plan. And what is the plan for the blessed life? Well, it's in verse 2. The plan is this, delight and meditate on God's word continually. Delight and meditate on God's word continually. So throughout the Psalms, the phrase law of the Lord is used to describe God's entire word, not just the law portion of the first five books of the Bible. And so this verse says that the blessed man is delighted with the word of God. The word uh, delight might sound weird to you. Like for me, I think of that's what a British person says about crumpets, right? So what does delight mean? Well, the reality is this, we all delight in something. To help us understand meaning, we all delight in something. C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, once said this, man must have some delight or some supreme pleasure. It's the thing we take pleasure in. His heart was never meant to be a vacuum. If not filled with the best things, it will be filled with unworthy and disappointing. We all delight in something. What then does it look like to delight in God's Word? Well, it's interesting to me that the same word delight is used in the Old Testament in Genesis 34, and it's used in Esther chapter 2. And in both of these instances, it is used to describe a man delighting in a woman. That could sound super weird to you guys. It did to me at first, okay? But it tells us something about what our passion for the Word should be. Maybe you've noticed that when a man delights in a woman, especially like if you guys are like, oh, this guy used to be my friend, but now he's dating this girl and I never see him anymore. But maybe you've noticed that a man will rearrange his priorities so that he can spend plenty of time with her. He doesn't do it because he has to. He does it because he wants to. Nothing interferes with the object of his delight. If a person delights in something, you don't have to beg them to like it, do you? You and I can measure our delight for the Word of God by how much we hunger for it. And I understand that that can sound really harsh. And if I'm really honest, it's hard for me even to say, because sometimes I don't feel that way about God's Word. God's Word isn't always my supreme delight. But the psalmist tells us that the blessed person gives their unreserved priority to the Word of God. And then he says that when the blessed person delights in the Word, they also meditate on it day and night. That doesn't leave a lot of room for not meditating, does it? At least he didn't say afternoon. Well, he didn't say morning either. So pretty much all the time. So the person who delights in the Word of God meditates on the Word of God. To meditate means this, to think over something by talking to yourself. So to meditate on God's Word is to talk to yourself with God's Word. We get a little upside down when we talk about meditation in our culture because we start to think Eastern mysticism, right? We, we start to think that Eastern meditation is the way of meditation, and in Eastern, Eastern meditation, the goal is to empty our minds. But this is super dangerous, and here is why. Because an empty mind presents an open invitation to deception. 
And the goal of biblical meditation is actually to fill our minds or to renew our minds with the Word of God. Because we lie to ourselves. God doesn't. A blessed person carefully and continually ponders and weighs the Scriptures. Joshua 1 verse 8 is really a good reminder. God actually said this to Joshua. As Israel was about to enter into the promised land, he said this, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You notice that? He's speaking it. But you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. So God didn't say to Joshua that his word was not to depart from his hand. Like, don't give the word away with your hand. He didn't say that God's word was not to depart from his back pocket. God said, my word is not to depart from your mouth. And this may sound silly, but I think that most of us see the word of God as a fax machine. And some of you are like, what is a fax machine? Uh, I don't know. Ask your mom. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's like email. Some of you are like, what is email? But a fax machine is this thing that just sends messages to you, right? You get these messages through a fax machine. What I mean is that we believe that God sends faxes to us one after another, and that's how the Bible works. But the Bible is more like a cell phone. I think most of us know what that is. We converse with the Father. We speak Scripture back to God and to our own hearts when we meditate on it. That's what meditation is. Bible reading and Bible studies are amazing, but there is more than just reading and studying the Bible. Meditation is where we speak the Word of God back to God and to our own hearts. Where day and night His Word is flowing from our lips and it is taking root deep within us. And can I just stop for a second and say, if you have a child, would you please put them in kids' community on Wednesday nights? Because your kids will be learning how to meditate on the Word of God, to speak the truth of the Word of God back to God and to their own hearts. That program is so important. The psalmist moves now from the plan of the blessed person to the promise for that person. Verse 3 again says, He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its seasons, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. So when you delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night, what is the result? That's the plan. Delight and meditate. What's the result? The psalmist says you're like a tree planted by a river. And for some of us, we're like, who cares? But you have to see that in an arid, desert-like region where the psalmist would have written this psalm, this picture of a tree by a river would have been the most striking thing to see in the middle of the desert. This tree that was fruit-bearing would have been different than all that was around it. And the psalmist is saying that the life of the person who walks with God and depends upon his word is healthy and fruitful and successful. And their life is worth living, and their life is striking to those around him. The promise to the believer who delights in God's word is this. You will be planted. Nothing in your life is haphazard. If when you follow God and root yourself in his word, the scriptures say that all of your days were ordained for you and written in the book before one of them came to be. God plants you where you need to be. It also says you will, del- you will yield fruit in season when you are delighting in God's word and meditating on it. 
You will produce fruit in every season of life. I want us to notice that the psalmist doesn't say that that there's just one fruit that the believer will yield. Because we have to know that the fruit are actually innumerable. The godly man or woman produces thanksgiving in seasons of plenty. The God or manly woman, uh, the godly man or woman produces faith in seasons of doubt and patience in seasons of suffering and peace in turmoil and mercy when they're wronged and gentleness when they're falsely accused and strength when they're tempted and humility and leadership and prayer in all seasons. And those are all fruit from being rooted in God's word. It also says your leaves will not wither when an unbeliever sees you and everything around you is dead. There's really only one explanation. And then verse 3 also says, in all you do, you will prosper. Now, for some of us, we could mistakenly read this and just see dollar signs. Okay, sweet. If I study my Bible and meditate on it, I'm going to make a bunch of money. Everything is going to be fixed. And in the context, the psalmist is actually saying that a tree prospers when they're close to a river, right? And, and how does a tree prosper? They prosper by surviving adverse conditions, even thriving in adverse conditions. And so think of a tree in a desert. A tree won't topple when its roots are sunk deeply into the soil to obtain water. And when dry spells come, It it is the tree whose root system is deep enough that one survives. Adversity and testing cannot destroy the tree or its productivity. And this is what the psalmist is saying. That's true also of the person who is delighting and meditating on God's word. If we are deeply rooted in God's word, if we are deeply rooted in his him, adversity may come our way, but it will not hinder our faith or our Christian growth or our ministry. And so when he says, in all you do, you prosper, prosperity is not so much material as it is spiritual. We prosper by growing in grace. We prosper by coming to maturity and by bearing fruit. We prosper in that we are fulfilled. It is a truly blessed life. And then the psalmist moves on to verses 4 and 5 and says this, The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. And so what these verses are doing is just like almost every psalm we've read so far, these verses show us the stark difference between the blessed person or the righteous person and the wicked person. And unlike the strong and fruitful tree by rivers of water, the ungodly tra- chaff, straw and dust, they blow away like straw and dust in the wind, sorry. God's word is missing in verses 4 and 5. That's the one thing that the ungodly person doesn't have. There's no foundation for the wicked. Think about it in in a few different ways, how a tree and chaff are different. Just to help us understand what the psalmist is saying. A tree is different from chaff in its nature. How? Well, a tree has life. The reason that we water trees is that a tree benefits from water right because it has life you could water chaff all day long and it would be kind of funny to watch but it's not going to grow right it cannot grow because it has no life the only thing that water does to chaff is it makes it wet chaff differs from trees in its value trees are of great value i was 
thinking this week, um, my in-laws have property in Montana, and there have been multiple times where they brought trees in to put it on their property. Why have they put new trees on their property? Well, it increases the value of their property. Trees offer protection, they offer shade, they offer fruit. We value trees, but chaff on the other hand, or you could even just think after harvest, all the things that are left from corn that nobody wants, that's something that we try to get rid of. And then finally, chaff differs from a tree in its destiny from the picture of chaff as contrasted with the tree. The judgment of the wicked involves removal. The wind blows it away. And the point of verses 4 and 5 is that as harsh as it might sound, the wicked are like chaff. They're rootless, they're weightless, and they're useless. And sometimes, like we talked about last week, from our viewpoint, many of us think that those who leave God out of their lives, they live this glamorous life, they live a powerful life, and they're exciting people. But God's viewpoint takes eternity into account. And so the psalmist ends here with verse 6, and he says this, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Jesus often talked about two ways, right? He spoke about two gates. He spoke about one narrow gate leading to life and one wide gate leading to destruction. He talked about two roads. He talked about two trees. He talked about two types of fruit. He talked about two houses. He talked about two foundations. And in each of these instances, one way brought life and blessing, and the other way brought death and sorrow. And so verse 6 really summarizes the end of every life based on whether a person followed God or they didn't. The godly road or the ungodly road. The psalmist concludes with this reality, the godly flourish because God is watching over them. And so, like I said at the beginning, Psalm 1 is a very practical psalm. It it, it does what most psalms do, and it shows us the two paths or the two roads or the two ways of life. God's way is a blessed life. Man's way ultimately leads to death. And so, what do we take with us this morning? What is important for us to know? I think that you could read this psalm and you could gain multiple things. Okay, I should read my Bible more. I should walk away from friends that are leading me away from God. And those are all good things and applicable. But I want to leave us just with two things this morning that I think are important. And like I said, there are lots of things that we could bring with us. But the first one is this. What we love, we will spend time with. What we love, we will spend time with. It's clear that the man who is blessed in Psalm chapter 1 delights and meditates on God's word. And as a result, he lives a rooted life. His life is fruitful, he's fulfilled in his calling, and I'm not sure if you guys are like me, but I read that, I read Psalm 1, and I think, I want to be blessed. I want to know the joy of streams of living water. I want to live the life that God has called me to live, but I don't know if I can define my appetite for God's word as delight. Maybe you feel the same way, maybe you don't. 
what should I do? I want to be rooted when in seasons of adversity, I know I can still flourish. How do I fall in love with God's word? Well, this is not profound at all. But I would encourage you, if that's your desire, to start by asking God for it. God, I want to delight in your word. God, give me supreme delight in your word. Father, plant me next to streams of living water. God, give me a desire to reorient my priorities around your word. God, give me friends who love your word. God loves to answer that prayer. I think, and I know I've said this before, but I think sometimes that we forget to ask God for what we truly need. And that's for delight in His Word. And then, and this may just sound too rigid, but ask God for delight in His Word and then practice delighting and meditating on God's Word. How do I grow my love for God and His Word? I read it. I read it. I know I've said this already a few times today, but we have Bible study fellowship on Tuesday night. We have community groups meeting throughout the week. We have Bible studies. We have adult discipleship. We have kids community. We have youth group. These are all things that you can get into to help develop an appetite for God's Word. Let me remind us all this morning that the purpose of the doctrine that is revealed in the Word of God is not to produce generation after generation of egghead biblical academics. That's not the goal. We don't need people who think about things that no one else thinks about or talks about or talks in languages that no one else talks in. We don't need people who don't do good for anybody else. Here is the thing that we need to be reminded of again and again. When we go to the Word of God, it is never intended to be an end in itself, but a means to an end, and that is a radically transformed life. That end is not to just have knowledge, but we want to have a relationship with God. What we love, we will spend our time with, and when we want to be blessed and love God, we need to read His Word. Going to the Word helps us to know God. It roots us deeply and it produces fruit. Now, you might be thinking, as I was all week long, okay, this is the truth. What's the beauty of this truth? Can you give me something that inspires me? What if I can't do all this stuff all the time? Psalm 1 gives us Truth for our lives, it's practical truth. A blessed man doesn't walk or stand or sit with sinners. A blessed person delights in God's word. That is true. But what is so beautiful about this? What draws me to it? The worship team can come on up. I want us to see that Psalm 1 shows us Jesus Christ. All of the Psalms do. Psalm 1 shows us Jesus Christ. The perfect man that is portrayed in the opening verses of Psalm 1 is Jesus. No one is truly like the wise and the righteous man other than our Lord Jesus Christ. Who could be blessed like Jesus? Jesus never walked in the counsel of the wicked. He never stood in the way of sinners. He never sat in the seat of mockers. He was an absolutely sinless man. Jesus is the man of Psalm 1. We have to see that. 
And if you are a follower of Christ today, or if you like, I would like to follow Christ. But this is overwhelming about delighting in God's word, and I want to be a blessed man. But if you are a follower of Christ today, you have to know this. Your value and your standing and your worth are not based in your performance. They're based in your position. Your position today is far more important than what you do. And Jesus is the answer to Psalm 1, to knowing him, to loving him. You might be overwhelmed with the task, but Jesus says this to you and I today. He says, I'm the guy who walks righteously. Let me show you how to do it. Come and follow me. If you belong to Christ, the blessings of Psalm 1 are yours through him. That's your position in Christ. You're blessed. I am who I am because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And if you belong to Jesus, then Jesus will lead you in the pattern of Psalm 1. He will call you into that. Your life will be changed. He will show you the way of a blessed person. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you again for your word today. God, thank you again that it points us to you, points us to Jesus. Father, this morning I pray that we are all encouraged and challenged to be people of your word. But God, I also pray that we are encouraged that we have that through your son, Jesus Christ, that we can follow him. Lord, would you call us deeper this morning? We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.